Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Yo, daddy hanging in there, man. I've got a big announcement after this uh, this quick commercial we run in the beginning here. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're gonna uh, you may love it, you may hate it, but it's gonna be an interesting announcement. I promise you. So uh, you doing all right though, Joe? Everything going oh, good? Oh man, everything is going great here in Pasadena. Yeah, Joe does not know the announcement, by the way. So you <laughs> yeah. you're waiting with bated breath. All right, I'm, let's get right yeah. to it. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at uh, Genucel. Genucel, my wife, my family love this stuff, ladies and gentlemen. The New Year is here, but so is that sagging jawline and double chin now you can make them disappear and you can look your best in 2019 introducing the brand new genucel jawline treatment with dual peptide and mdl technology it's Chamonix's most advanced technology ever not only tightens saggy jawlines but plumps the lipophilic layer of your skin the contour and define that jawline within minutes Using peptides and metolactones together for the first time, it works amazingly fast, and the results get better every day. My family loves this stuff. It's amazing. My mother-in-law can't get enough of it. And right now, during Chamonix's New Year's giveaway, the revolutionary GenuCell jawline treatment is yours absolutely free mm-hmm. when you order the GenuCell for under-eye bags and puffiness. And for results in 12 hours, GenuCell's immediate effects is also free when you call or click now. Here's what you got to do. Text the word YOUNG. Young, like the opposite of old, because that's what you will look young to seven, seven, four, five, three, or go to genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, genucel.com. Start the year right with beautiful skin, no bags and puffiness and a tighter, higher jawline. Yeah. Call or click now. Text young to seven, seven, four, five, three, or go to genucel.com. That's genucel.com, genucel.com. All right. Big announcement. What's the big announcement, Joe? You Mm. have not heard this? No. We are now going to be charging the audience $100 a month in subscription fees to listen to this show every month. What do you think of that, Joe? Where, where did the, dude, where, but, I'm going to take this what, out. I'm going to take yeah, this out. What? No, 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 you got to leave it in. No, Joe's clearly upset. What? You have not heard this. Where, who came up with this idea, yeah. dude? Uh, all right, calm down, calm down. Take it easy. Come I on, think man. It's, a, it's a fair price for... For uh, it's your talent too, hundred dollars a month, right? Yeah, am I going to see anything in my pocket? No, and it's too <laughs> much anyway. I mean, well, come on, man. Seriously, I'm taking this out. Damn, no, we- no, no, leave it in, leave it in, leave it in. But you got to leave. I'm sorry, you got to leave it in. All right. All right, folks, clearly I'm messing with you. The show is not going to be 100. Ah! Calm down, Joe. Everybody take it. The show is. Now, I did this for a reason. I wanted to delay. And I I even, uh, Joe did know. We were messing around before the show. I told him, just play it up. But I wanted some sense of just a little bit of uncomfortability. Of course, the show is going to remain free to you. We have some (laughs) surprises coming up uh, uh, on the video side. Don't worry. It's not going to change the podcast at all. But I did this for a reason. I've got a ton of stuff to get to today. Some breaking new Spygate stuff. But I read a fascinating piece before I came on the air in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It's subscription only, but the gist of it's simple. You know, you can read it if you'd like. It's in the opinion column today uh, about government pricing and how the price of government is all wrong. And I thought, gosh, there's no way to hammer this home better than an analogy. The gist of the piece is this, that people do not understand the price of government, so they think they're getting a bargain. And the authors of the piece say that this growing trend in younger voters and voters who haven't done their their homework, I don't mean this in a you know, deplorable, like talking about talking down to people way at all. Mm-hmm. People have been believed the price of government is a bargain because that's what they've been told by the media and politicians. <laughs> Joe, they have no reason to believe otherwise. It's not that people are ignorant. They've been told otherwise. The, 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 the idea in the piece is that people think socialism is a good deal because they don't understand the price of government. And once the price hits you in the face, all of a sudden you're like, what? whoa, it costs that much? That if you understood the real price of government, the demand for the product, the demand for more government vis-a-vis socialism would decrease significantly. And all of a sudden, capitalism would become a far more appealing enterprise. That's accentuated by my opening riff, where I'm sure 
I, I, I'm honored by the fact that many of you love the show and and spread the show. I, I mean it. Our show has become a, a, a beacon of light in my life and Joe's too. And I yeah. mean that sincerely. Forgive me the, the soupy analogies, but because of everything you've done. But I don't think for a second that my show uh, is, is going to be worth charging you $100 a month. <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it. But the price of my show is free to you. It is not free. It is free to you because sponsors, good sponsors, GenuCell, Patriot Supply Today, and Bravo Company Later. And I don't mean to make this a rift on the business model either, but they choose to advertise on the program to talk to a substantial audience, and that audience is you. I got you. If the price was paid by you at that amount, Many of you, although, listen, I love my content. I love what Joe does. I love the work we put into it. And the show means the world to me. I can't with a straight face charge you that amount of money for this product. When competitors work on a different business model, sponsor arranged programs, and it's free to you. The show is not free. Nothing's free. But when the price of the show slams you in the face like a hundred dollars a month all of a sudden people reconsider their demand for even my own product i use the self-deprecating analogy using a price model on my own show Mm -hmm. to dictate to because i'm sure a lot of you were like when you heard that some of you some of you may have got i was kidding some of you may not you might have been like is it you must have been like is this guy kidding he thinks he's gonna charge me a hundred dollars a month when i could get you know uh other products out there for free hey maybe some of you said i'd pay 10 I'd pay 20, but I'm not paying $100 a month. It's called an economics, you know, elasticity of demand. If you want to get all wonky on it, you can look that up. How elastic or inelastic is demand for the product, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, when a price slams you in the face, you're like, well, I like Dan's show a lot, but I'm not sure I like it that much. You see how the implementation of a of a price all of a sudden alters your demand for a product? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why socialism is growing in its appeal towards people who don't understand what socialism is because they've been told the price in their lives to growing government and government and growing government social programs is minuscule. They've been lied to. Or I believe the traditional pronunciation of the word is minuscule, but you can, I, 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 yeah, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that, I think they're both acceptable now, but I believe the original pronunciation of the word is minuscule, but this is it. You've been told, and here are some examples. You've been told the price of government is wrong. And I have in highlights here on my notes for the show today. What a bargain government. What a bargain, Joe. Yeah. You have been told, ladies and gentlemen, over the past decade that the price of government to you in your tax bill was $27 trillion. Joe, that was not the price of government over the past decade. Mm. The price of government was 26% higher. Oh. It was $35.6 trillion. That's where the $9 trillion in debt over the Obama administration over these past uh, two years on the pre- in the President Trump's administration, that's where that $9 trillion in debt comes from. You have been lied to about the price of government. It explains perfectly why the demand for government keeps going up with the in the left leaning ecosystem, ideological ecosystem, because people don't understand the price. In other words. That $9 trillion in debt, if it was imposed upon you immediately, Joe, as a genuine price, you and I had to pay right away. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, your taxes would have been 25 to 50% higher, depending on if you uh, factor in state debt as well. You understand how we're being lied to? The Democrats want it both ways. Some of them, some of them will go on the record and argue for uh, higher taxes, but most of them won't. They want your prices to be a lie. Here's another uh, another uh, piece of data from the from the Wall Street Journal piece today about uh, and the piece about when prices lie. The price of government is a lie. Think about my opening when that price slammed you in the face. A lot of you were like, "Oh my gosh, I like the show," but sheesh, Dan. Take it east. Take it east. We haven't used that in a while. (laughs) Social Security and Medicare. These are, listen, I get it. I get a thousand emails every time. I understand. I get it. Your money was stolen from you. I totally understand. 
If you are 65 and older living on Social Security, I understand your money was confiscated and abused. I get it. And given the status of your the life cycle chronologically, the fact that you were paid into a system and made a promise by a government, which is our government, it's us. I fully get and I understand that those promises should be made right. Because we elected people that screwed you over, basically. But I'm telling you, for people 55 and younger, there's no money there. Forget it. Social Security and Medicare, Joe. Mm-hmm. The low-end estimates of what is owed over the next 75 years, the low-end. Mm-hmm. Genuine estimates are up to four times higher than this. Is $50 trillion. Joe, that's the low-end in obligations Unpaid obligations. In other words, money we don't have over the next 75 years. Joe, to pay for that at the low end Mm -hmm. would require a 60% tax hike. Erroneous! (laughs) (laughs) Folks, a 60% tax hike. All of a sudden, those social security benefits for people like us, you're like, yeah, I want my social security if I'm 55. Okay, you're going to have to pay it. The tax hike is 60%. Then you're like, wait, 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 wait. I don't want it that bad. (laughs) Do you understand how the price of government is a lie? It's a lie. We Joe, we've been smoked up. We've been lied to. And when I opened up the show today and gave you a price, a price not commensurate with your demand for the show, all of a sudden, everybody changed their mind. $100 a month? Not paying 1200 bucks a year. Why not? Why not? Because a lot of people don't have $1,200 a year, just like a lot of people don't have the money to pay the 60% tax hike required to pay the Social Security and Medicare benefits for the next 75 years. There's no money. The price of government is a lie. I'm kind of piggybacking on yesterday's show with Ocasio-Cortez and Julian Castro suggesting 60 to 70 and 90% marginal tax rates. Right. You may say, well, Dan, I think you're making the case for them that they're right. No, 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 no. Notice what Ocasio-Cortez said. If you, if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, please go back and listen. It's a very good show. Ocasio-Cortez in her 60-minute interview, the radical leftist congresswoman from New York who's become the new uh, uh, you know, uh, this rising star on the left, is not arguing for a 60-70% tax hike on you. She's arguing for a 60-70% tax hike on people who make $10 million or more as a top marginal rate. Ladies and gentlemen, That is not where the money is, folks. That is not even close. She is being, Joe, please tell me you understand where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. She is being doubly dishonest because she's not telling you the cost of government. She's lying about the cost of her, quote, free college and all this other stuff, Medicare for all she backs. And she's making you believe again that the price is going to fall on someone else, just like the price of my show falls on sponsors now and doesn't. That's not a lie. That's true. She won't tell you that. She's making you believe it's a sponsor model, not the $100 a month I lied to you about in the beginning of the show (laughs) to make a point. You see what I'm saying, Joe? Yeah. She is lying to you. She's making you believe third parties are going to pay for all this. Those third parties are who, Joe? $10 million people uh, worth $10 million income earners or more. That is not where the money is, folks. There are not enough people who earn $10 million or more a year at that tax rate to pay the 60-70% tax hikes, Social Security, Medicare, and endless government is going to cost. Oh, hell no. Yes. Her and Julian Castro and Bernie Sanders are lying to you. If they had any credibility at all, they would be candid and say, listen, middle America, lower income folks, people making 100,000, 60,000, 50,000, 20,000 and 10 million. You are where the money is. The middle class is the overwhelming majority of this company population wise. Mm-hmm. You are where the real money is. We are going to tax you at rates of 60 to 70% to pay for the expanding government and socialist empire you all want. And then you know what, Joe? I mean this. Mm-hmm. I would respect her 
Yeah. But but respectfully, honestly, vigorously, and furiously disagree that that is a sensible, rational post. But at least she's being honest and putting her own congressional career on the line by telling the middle class what they need to hear. That the cost of government and the price of government is wrong. I'm here to correct it. The price of government is 60 to 70% more of your money. That's how we're going to implement free college and Medicare for all. At least she'd be candid. Agreed. But she's not. Because some of you emailed me yesterday, and I love, listen, I love your emails. There was a guy, um, Tim or Tom, he didn't like the show yesterday. He didn't like it. He thinks we should give no airtime whatsoever to liberals. I said to him back, thanks for your feedback. I appreciate it. I strongly disagree. In a battle of ideas, not knowing the other side, not knowing your ideological opponent is a disaster. I've learned that through running for office many times. You have to know what they're going to say before they say it. So I disagree, but that's fine. I appreciate your feedback. But one of the comments I got you say is, well, Dan, you missed the point. She's only arguing for a tax hike for people who make $10 million or more. No, that is the point. She's lying about the price of government. Right. She's not being genuine. She's pretending it's a sponsor-paid model with the sponsors being 10 millionaires, and it's not. It's a you model where you're going to pay $100 for the show. You're not, just so we're clear, folks. I'm not, I hope every, all of you understand. I'm not, I have no intention of charging you for my show. Please. I've always been, the goal always here has been to get, keep it free for you. I hope I didn't uh, upset you with that analogy. And I thought about, hey, maybe this is dangerous. Maybe some people listen and tune out the show right away. This guy's crazy. You know what, folks? It's worth it. I'm sorry, but it's worth it. Sometimes analogies that really hit you in the face are the best ones. And I, I you don't need it. I mean, it's really not for you. It's more for the moderate Democrats who listen to the show I like, and I appreciate your feedback. But I just don't... What do you, to what tell do you, you the truth, something? it was fun, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I told Joe before the show. Man, it just was pretend. fun. I'm like, just pretend you don't know. And Joe's actually pretty convincing, I must say. Thank you. I'd love your feedback on that if he was convincing it. He's like, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> it is a stupid idea. I don't, you know, I don't mind uh, subscription fees that are reasonable, but that's clearly confiscatory and and really ridiculous and uh, uh, and and almost mercenary but it, it's meant to hit you in the face with what a price is and how that price when it goes up to an excessive cost, $100 a month, in this case, a 60% tax hike, all of a sudden makes you reevaluate your demand curve for a product. Oh, I don't want it. I demanded this much government at this price, but when the price is real, you're like, well, well all of a sudden I don't demand government, <laughs> just like you wouldn't demand the show. Those examples work. I hope it worked in this case. All right, I've got some killer information on this uh, growing, growing scandal. Uh, it's just, uh, I haven't forgotten. I get some emails. People, what happened to Spy Case? If nothing happened, I only report when there's news. I'm not going to fill your airtime mm-hmm. when we don't have anything. I, you know, I, I don't want to waste your time. The show matters to us. Okay, today's show brought to you. Speaking of preparing, folks, preparing matters. You got to be prepared. We ensure everything in our lives that matter. We ensure our health. We ensure our teeth. People have eyeglass coverage, car insurance, home insurance. How can you not have a basic food supply insurance plan? You got to have a food supply in the event of an emergency. So when emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? Go to the grocery store. Problem is it's already too late. The grocery shelves are already empty. It wouldn't be an emergency if you could, if you knew in advance. You know, hurricanes, you know, in advance, but a lot of times things strike without warning. How do you avoid this? It's simple. Use today to plan ahead. Prepare for things like blizzards, earthquakes, power outages, and all that stuff. They could last days. The logical place to start is having a food supply stored in your home. I trust my Patriot Supply for my food storage, and you should too. Folks, I have boxes of this. I buy it myself, as I've said many times. I could probably get a lot of it for free from them. I don't even buy because I I really, I'm, I am sincere in my heart when I tell you this. I could not watch the face of my kids or my wife if there was an emergency two or three weeks without food asking for i couldn't do it i would i i couldn't the pain in their face would be overwhelming here's how you prepare your food supply go get a two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote from my patriot supply this week you'll save 62 dollars on this two-week food kit when you go to my special site preparewithdan.com go to the website preparewithdan.com that's preparewithdan.com or you could call 888 888- Four one one eight nine two six. These food kits include a tasty variety of breakfast, lunches, and dinners that last up to twenty five years in storage. Order now. Prepare yourself. Rest easy. Eight 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 four one one eight nine two six or preparewithdan dot com. Eight 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 four one one eight nine two six or preparewithdan.com. Go check it out, please. Ensure your food supply. Okay. Um, 
I wanted to front load that so we could get to this. So, ladies and gentlemen, last week we covered a fascinating component of what we believe to be paragraph one of this devastating operation to take down the Trump team and the Obama administration. And one of the things I discussed last week is I believe now, I'm starting to believe that there were multiple investigations into the Trump team, potentially multiple FISA warrants, secret court warrants to spy on the uh, the Trump team through the Obama administration. And uh, I can see Joe's interest. Joe's leaning in when he leans in. He's interested yes. in this. And I had said to you that I believe the initial target in this whole thing was an effort to take down Lieutenant General Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn was the head of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency under Barack Obama. Mike Flynn was a sworn enemy of the Iran deal and was largely a truth teller in the Obama administration. The Obama administration didn't like that. Uh, It's probably clear, given Mike Flynn's position as a senior intelligence uh, official in the Obama administration, that let's just say Joe Flynn knew stuff. Flynn probably knew a few things about the shenanigans the Obama administration was up to. Flynn had to be taken out. Flynn became a target of the Obama team right away. Now, I covered this a little bit on last week's show. Uh, this, if you want to listen to it, it's called The Scandal Exposed. It's a great show. We got a ton of listeners on it. And it covers the background on what the Obama team in paragraph one did to take out uh, did to take out Mike Flynn. And when I say paragraph one, I mean, when uh, in my prior line of work, when you started an investigation, there's a paragraph one that describes how it starts in all your reports. What was paragraph one? What was the initial reason the Obama administration targeted the Trump team? I believe Mike Flynn and Mike Flynn joining the Trump effort to get elected during the Trump campaign was giving speeches. I believe paragraph one was, in fact, some targeting of Mike Flynn. And now I have more reason to believe so. Thanks to a tremendous piece in the Epoch Times by Jeff Carlson, who I've touted his work on this show often because it is tremendous. Now, here's the question I want to ask today. Was there a two-way street in the intelligence community to produce negative intelligence to nail people on the Trump team? Stand easy. I'll tell you what I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, in a traditional intelligence operation to nail someone who may be a spy in the United States or who may be cooperating with a foreign government, the intelligence by nature has to go in one direction. Think about what I'm saying, Joe. We have a potential spy in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. The, the, John Smith. John Smith is suspected to be working with the Russians. We get information about John Smith from another source who says, hey, Central Intelligence Agency, FBI, there's a mole in the United States. A guy's name is John Smith. I've seen some of his emails. I work with him at work. I think he's emailing the Russian government about state secrets in the United States. He has some access to a contractor portal. This is a bad guy. The information by nature has to be one way from sources to the Central Intelligence Agency. The information cannot ever by nature be two-way. And what I mean by two-way, Joe, is in order to nail John Smith in the United States under espionage charges, potential uh, criminal charges by the Bureau and others, the intelligence agency, Joe, can never go back to the source and say, hey, it would be really nice if you said this. Mm -hmm. You tracking? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can never be two ways. Now, this may seem obvious, but until I explain that to you, The rest of the story won't make any. I know a lot of you get this, so forgive me. I'm in no way trying to talk down. I am just trying to establish that the information flow has to, by nature, be one way. Now, I'm not talking about working with them. You know, there are always intelligence people can say, hey, you know, it would be a good idea if you could get us this. Could you get us the emails? Could you get us some recorded phone calls? That happens all the time. In other words, prods and suggestions. Mm -hmm. Information, core information central to the case cannot by nature, flow the other way. It can't. They can't say to people who are sources, hey, listen, it would be really nice if you could say this, this, and this, and this. Now, leads again, leads and potential like, hey, it would be helpful. You know, that stuff happens all the time. But you cannot feed them 
bogus information, a source, with the hope that the source will feed back the bogus information that makes the bogus information appear credible. Why do I bring this up? Because, folks, as I discussed in last week's show with the Carter Page warrant on the scandal exposed, Lee Smith at The Federalist did an unbelievable piece, which is in the show notes for that day's show. You must read it. It's long, but it's good about how it's incredibly suspicious about how when the Obama administration targeted Carter Page show for a FISA warrant, it appears they tried to get a FISA warrant in the summer. In the summer of uh, 2016, a FISA warrant that was denied. All of a sudden, Christopher Steele's memos on Carter Page appear with new allegations of criminality by Carter Page. And voila, look, in October, all of a sudden, the FISA's approved. Folks, please listen to that show, but I'll sum it up in this sentence. Christopher Steele's memos targeted Carter Page. He's the principal figure. This guy's working with the Russian government. He met with these energy officials from Russia and Rosneft. They go to the FISA court with that. It appears likely this happened at this point. The problem is meeting with energy officials from Russia, Joe, is not a crime. No. The FISA warrant or the, the, the potential FISA warrant against Page appears to have been denied. It appears then, Joe, instead of one-way flow, the information becomes two-way. Someone probably went up to Christopher Steele. And I'm basing uh, the new information is going to show you. I think this is highly likely at this point and says, hey, Chris, uh, you know, wink and a nod. Maybe it would be a good idea if we had some new information here indicating that this meeting was a crime. If you read Lee's piece, this is what seems to have happened here. The memo is then updated about this meeting between Carter Page. The meeting between Page and the Russians to include information about a bribe. That is in that. That's in, in fact, the new memo in October. Bang! All of a sudden, the FISA court's like, okay, now we got a crime. In other words, folks, the question we should all be asking right now is, was the information flow two-way? Do you see, Joe, am I explaining the unethical nature of a two-way information flow in an intelligence account, a CI investigation? I was going to say, but, but Dan, that's a lie. That's a lie. The the whole dossier was a lie. The meeting never happened. If the meeting never happened, the alleged bribe to Carter Page from the Russian energy firm, we're going to give you all these shares in the company if you can hook us up with the Trump team and get rid of sanctions. If that never happened, the meeting, then the bribe never happened either. The question is, how did Steele get this information? Who told Steele there was a bribe? Folks, do you see what the scandal, if I don't, if I'm not explaining this, here it is from 30,000 feet. Was somebody poking and prodding Christopher Steele to fabricate fake information in a dossier in a two-way street operation that could be used to funnel, to hijack our justice system, to get unethical, potentially illegal warrants to spy on Americans? Was that person in the two-way street connected to the Hillary Clinton orbit? Was it someone in the Clinton team feeding steel information who was connected to people in the Justice Department, connected to people in the FBI, who were telling Steele, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. We need more. We need more. We need more. Do you see the danger of a two-way information flow like this? This tactic could be employed against any American at any time. I need to spy on Joe Armacost. I'm running against him for office. I'm a Democrat. He's a Republican. All of a sudden, a source creeps out. Christopher Steele Jr. I think Joe is colluding with the Russians. Do you have evidence? I think he met with Russians. I go to a FISA court. Ah, that's not enough. Hey, uh, somebody feed to that guy ratting on Joe that we need more information. All of a sudden, hey, boom, here's another memo. Hey, Joe took a bribe from the Russians. We go back to the court. Hey, judge, Joe took a bribe from the Russians. Okay, spy on Joe. This could be employed against anybody. It was all fake. Was this a two-way street? I kept thinking of this last night. I'm like, this is just profound. This is such a, 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 a... violation of the general trust between the United States and, and, and its law enforcement and intelligence entities. Now, what broke yesterday in Carlson's piece that lead me to believe this was a systemic problem, not just applied to Carter Page. Carlson, who is a tremendous investigator, has a piece up, which is in the show notes today, 
please, again, I humbly and most respectfully ask that you read it. This is really important stuff. These are great investigators. Their work needs to be heard. You will not hear any of this in the mainstream media because it's ignored. But guys like Carlson, Chuck Ross, Lee Smith, uh, Byron York and others are the ones doing the real entrepreneurial work, cracking open the greatest political scandal of our time. Mm-hmm. Carlson notes something very suspicious, Joe, about the dossier memos. Remember, the dossier is just a compilation of Christopher Steele's memos. Mm-hmm. How there appears to be a last minute addition in one of them when it comes to Kremlin influence and the Kremlin engaging with, quote, high-profile U.S. players. Let me read his his description of what I mean first. Remember how I said to you before about Page? How Page, it appears a memo was written. Page met with the Russians. The memo was probably used to get a FISA. The FISA's denied. Another memo is written with more information on Page. Oh, he was, he was bribed. Oh, bingo. It appears these last-minute additions creep in whenever the government needs something, Joe, political, on the Trump team. It magically appears through Christopher Steele, who is, quote, a credible source for the FBI, even though he's not the source, and even though he's talking to the media. Here's what Carlson writes. In addition to the obvious questions raised by the timing of uh, Mike Flynn's name appearing in Steele's August 10th memo is the manner in which Flynn is denoted. So just to be clear what he's saying, there's an August 10th memo. The dossier is a compilation of memos. Within that memo, Mike Flynn's name appears, and it's alluded to that he's been a target of a Russian influence operation. Carlson's saying here, but the way his name appears seems very suspicious, folks, almost like it was added at the last minute. Hey, we need something against Mike Flynn, too. I got you, buddy. Don't worry. Fill in the blank. He goes on. All other names in the memo are capitalized in the manner of intelligence briefings. But Flynn's name isn't capitalized. And in one case, appears within parentheses. It's almost as if his name was suddenly added at the last minute. And by someone other than Steele. (laughs) (laughs) Let me read to you the portion of the memo he's talking about. And he's right. Read the piece. It's not capitalized. It's thrown in at the last minute in a format that applies to no other name in the actual dossier memo. Nothing. Everyone else's name is capitalized. You can see it yourself. He links to it. Quote, Kremlin's engaging with several high profile U.S. players. This is from Steele's memo, including Stein, talking about Jill Stein, capitalized. Page, Carter Page, capitalized. And, and, and here's it, it's just thrown in in parentheses, and former DIA director Michael Flynn in standard writing and funding their recent visits to Moscow. This is fascinating, folks. How Flynn's name, again, by the way, in the next paragraph, when they talk about this delegation and how the Russians are supporting U.S. figures in these paid engagements to Russia, they talk about Lyndon LaRouche, name capitalized, presidential candidate Jill Stein, capitalized, Trump, foreign policy advisor Carter Page, capitalized, and former director Michael Flynn. Again, thrown in at the end, not capitalized. You may say, oh, okay, so they forgot to capitalize his name. Folks, I would be willing to toss this out to a simple error if it wasn't so obvious what's going on here these memos are consistently revised and thrown together at the last minute as political tools whenever they need information to inject intravenously into the FISA court to get a law enforcement warrant against people on the Trump team Flynn was a target Now, why do I think this happened? Here's where it gets a little confusing. So please follow me. This is super important, but incredibly interesting. And this is in the Carlson piece. It's long, but worth your time. Seriously worth your time. Remember what I talked about in the show, The Scandal Exposed last week, how Flynn's December 2015 trip to Russia only became a big deal after Mike Flynn started advocating openly for the Trump campaign for president for the presidency. John Solomon covered this Mike Flynn paid trip to Russia in December of 2015, where Flynn was seated at the same table as Vladimir Putin. 
Interestingly enough, the same CIA asset, Stefan Halper, who was reporting on Papadopoulos and Carter Page as well, also does some reporting on that in, uh, instance with Flint. Almost as if, Joe, they had a Central Intelligence Agency asset ready to provide information on Trump team members at the drop of a hat. Crazy how that happens. Halper just keeps randomly appearing. Mm-hmm. But this trip to Russia, which Flynn handled by the books, folks, that was John Solomon's report in the Hill. There is significant exculpatory information. Mike Flynn briefed the DIA, despite not being in the DIA anymore, about the trip before he left. He did a briefing before he left, and he did a briefing after he came back discussing the ramifications of this trip to Russia. Everything, Joe, was done by the numbers with regards to the, the, uh, the intelligence nature of the visit. Mm-hmm. nobody disputes that anymore so why was the trip a big deal the answer joe is it wasn't it was only a big deal because mike flynn decided to start campaigning for the trump team remember the timeline the trip happens mm-hmm. in december of 2015 nobody says anything but all of a sudden right as mike flynn starts to openly advocate for donald trump for president all of a sudden these memos appear in August, and Mike Flynn's name seems to be randomly inserted in dossiers about Russian influence. Wow, isn't that special? Just like Carter Page keeps appearing in these memos it, with, with, with successively more damaging pieces of information, just enough to hurdle a FISA court warrant, despite the fact that none of it's true. Now, what's even more interesting Remember the names, folks. There's a journalist in my book, Spygate, that appears in almost like every other chapter, I think. (laughs) Michael Isakoff from Yahoo News. Michael Isakoff from Yahoo News is deeply embedded in this. Michael Isakoff, uh, if you again, if you read the book, you'll see is working with Alexandra Chalupa on the Paul Manafort angle. He's being fed. And listen, he's a reporter. Uh, let me just be clear. Michael Isakoff is no conservative. I have no beef with reporters taking information. I'm not knocking Isakoff. If Isakoff has information, I've taken information from sources, too. I'm simply suggesting that the sources Isakoff's getting information from are Democrat embeds in the government who are feeding Isakoff what they want him to believe that the Russians are trying to I- influence the Trump team and That's all I'm saying here. But what's fascinating, Joe, is right around the time Mike Flynn starts speaking out and advocating for the Trump team heavily. Mm -hmm. In July of 2016, Isakoff confronts Mike Flynn and interviews him. And what's one of the first questions out of his mouth? The transcription of the interviews available in Carlson's piece in the show notes today. What do you think one of the first questions Isakoff asked Flynn about? Joe, this is killer. Hey, what about that trip to Russia in December of 2015 (laughs) that nobody cared about until Flynn started advocating for Trump? Now, you may say, all right, Dan, but that's July and the memo where Flynn's name seems to be randomly inserted into this steel memo indicating that Flynn may be subjected to may have been the subject of a Russian influence operation through payments and things like that. That's August 10th. Mm. Who fed Isakoff that information? Who fed Isakoff that information? We know Isakoff has a relationship with people at Fusion GPS. Was somebody feeding journalists, Isakoff and others, information lies about Mike Flynn and Carter Page which were being used then and funneled from said journalist to Fusion GPS where Christopher Steele worked to be randomly inserted into memos known as the dossier to be given back to the Justice Department to be used as a predicate for spying oh boy that one's gonna sting isn't it think about what I just told you Talk about a circle of malfeasance. So you can't get a warrant because you have nothing. So what do you do? You drop a hint. If you're in the FBI and DOJ and you're an anti-Trump hack, like a lot of these upper level Comey stroke cabal types were. 
Bruce Orr and the DOJ, who has a relationship with Christopher Steele. We know that. They met right before Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation that the Trump started. Right. They float to fusion. Hey, we need something. The Bureau. The Bureau's like, we can't walk into a FISA court with nothing. We don't have enough. We've already gotten turned down once. You need to give us something. They float that to fusion. We know Orr's connected to Steele, who's working for fusion. Steele probably floats back to fusion. Hey, we need to produce more stuff. You know, Hillary's paying us for information. Hillary's team, they know Obama. They want information. They got to get this Trump team spied on. They need it. All of a sudden, they say, well, let's go to some reporters. The reporters get wind that they need information. All of a sudden, who randomly appears to feed the reporters information? Insiders in the Obama administration like Alexandra Chalupa and others who all of a sudden produce intel. Remember the Evelyn Farkas hit on MSNBC when the insider at the Obama administration at the Defense Department went on MSNBC and said, oh, if the Trump team only knew how we found out about their Russia stuff. The problem is they didn't know. They were feeding it to everybody and their mother who would listen, a bunch of reporters who were feeding it back back to Fusion, who are feeding it back to the FBI. In a ring of stupid. Now, coincidentally, not. Who is used in one of the original and subsequent FISA uh, uh, applications for a FISA warrant to spy on the Trump team and rules? What reporter is used as a bedrock of 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 factual uh uh, uh, uh as as what he's as a as like a pillar to establish that their their case against Carter Page and the Trump team is genuine what reporters reporting is used to buttress their case in the FISA court Michael Isakoff mm. the same guy who in July seems to have information he's supposed to ask Mike Flynn about the trip to Russia who told him that who fed him that information that this December 15 trip to Russia was trouble, even though it wasn't? Flynn had reported the trip and had reported the results afterwards. The DIA knew it. And once Isakoff doesn't get a satisfactory answer from Flynn in the July interview, and it's and it's a, it's a strange answer if you read the transcript. Flynn appears taken aback by the questioning and says, I'm not being paid by the Russian government. Once Isakoff gets that on the record, who then feeds that, hey, we've got trouble here, back to Fusion to insert in the August 10th memo, make sure you put Mike Flynn's name in there now. Oh, these people are subject to a Russian influence operation. Jill Stein, Carter Bay, and Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn. <laughs> Someone have white out? Uh, my, Mike Flynn. <laughs> it's like they had a blank line getting wet, wet, being, you know, just eagerly anticipating a fill-in. Joe, is this not the craziest story ever? Oh, this is whack, dude. <laughs> so who fed Isakoff the information that Flynn's trip to Russia was trouble, even though it wasn't? We already The DIA's already said he followed the rules. When Isakoff hammers him in July and Flynn doesn't come up with the right answer, who then gets back to steel and fusion? Is it Isakoff? That, hey, we got something here. Russia, Flynn didn't give a great answer. He said the Russians didn't pay him, but technically RT did. It's a state-controlled agency. Mm. This is going to be ugly. I think we've got the evidence we need. Who feeds it back to Steele and Fusion for the dossier? And then who gives that dossier? Obviously, it's Steele. Back to the FBI and DOJ to waltz back in the court with. Who then, by the way, in the court, they swear to it in October. They swear to it. And who do they use to buttress their case? Michael Isakoff, the same reporter who starts this thing in July. Oh, man, is this case full of gems, folks. <laughs> and by gems, I mean lumps of coal. Yeah. Every single time. And, I, uh, you know, that's why I get that. Well, you know, what, what's with Spike? I only report when there's something to report. And this is huge because the, the takeaway for you from this is that I believe the information flow was a dangerous, pernicious two-way street. 
It's not that Intel was being fed to the Bureau, the DOJ, Fusion, and others. It's that when info was needed, even when it was a lie, the request was being made in the other direction too. Let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with an intelligence agency and say, hey, you think Joe Armacost is going to rob a bank? Give us some evidence. There is something very wrong with the intelligence agency saying, hey, we know Joe's going to rob a bank because we need him to rob a bank for political purposes. And I need you, Mr. Intelligence Source, to prove it. You see the distinction? Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of intelligence professionals that email me, and I appreciate your emails. I understand the distinction. The first thing's fine. Mm -hmm. We need info on this. That's what sources do. Already telling them what the info is when it is, in fact, false and telling them to go show it is totally different. What a train wreck this case is. Flynn was set up. It is so obvious. We need information on Paige. Look, I've got a new memo. We need information on Flynn. Look, I've got a new memo, too. You forgot to capitalize Flynn's name. Darn, how did I screw that one up? Oh, insane. You like that? Yeah, That man. was good, right? Yeah. I, I saw Jeff Carlson's piece. I was yeah. like, damn. Now, put that together. Mm-hmm. Go read and uh, go listen to the scandal exposed from last week. Read Lee Smith's piece. Listen to this show and read Carlson's piece and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. This was a two-way street. It was information and intelligence a la carte. Whatever you need, we got it. All right. All right, this spot brought to you by our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. Listen, when our founding fathers crafted the Constitution, the first thing they did was ensure the rights of the individual to share ideas without limitation by government. You know how strongly I feel about freedom of speech, all of our other big R rights, too. I also believe in individual liberty and personal responsibility. These are cornerstones of a great civilization. I want to talk to you about one of the uh, best companies out there for rifle builds, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM. For sure, it was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago. They build professional-grade products built to the highest of standards. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they are a private citizen or a professional. BCM, this is, folks, a company, the rifle builds are just spectacular. It stands for Bravo Company Manufacturing. This is life-saving equipment. BCM does a great job. They have the highest standards. These are made, The professionals make this stuff. It is absolutely terrific. Their rifle builds are amazing. You're not going to find a finer product out there. They put people before products, BCM. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone trying to do them harm. BCM knows that their products can be life-saving. Folks, these guys are the real deal. I ask that you check them out. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. They have accessories. They have rifle builds they can put together for you. They have a bunch of products over there, the highest quality built for professionals, but you can access them too. Go to bravocompanymfg.com that's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Check out more about them. And they're awesome people that make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Go check them out, folks. Okay. Um, a couple of other stories I don't want to miss here. Uh, I, forgive me. I didn't uh, I didn't bring up. Uh, there's a big speech tonight, 9 p.m. Obviously, Donald Trump is going to give his first uh, Oval Office speech this is going to be important. It's going to be about the dangers of open borders policies, the dangers presenting themselves at their southern border. Um, just a couple of notes on this. The fact that the networks were even considering not broad, and they were, they, they were, quote, deliberating on broadcasting Donald Trump's first Oval Office speech is 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 a disgrace. Mm-hmm. Um, it just speaks, you know, and, and, and the adjectives that go on and on, the disgrace, they're horrible. They're just awful. They're terrible people. Um, I just want you to understand the, the journalism is dead. Uh, it's over. Honest reporting is over. Understand, I know you already get it, the media are full-blown activists. They are liberal activists. They are not to be taken seriously. The fact that the President of the United States, the duly elected President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is giving his first Oval Office address, and the networks even had to deliberate for a moment on broadcasting it, speaks volumes to what shams they are. Total shams, hoaxes. These are not genuine folks over there. Now, 
They acquiesced, of course, because they had to, because it would have been to their eternal shame had they not uh, re- had they refused to broadcast an Oval Office address. And by the way, everybody just would have tuned into Fox anyway, uh, which is what everybody will do. So you can watch it on Fox. Don't give any of these people the airtime. It's supposed to be eight minutes, but the fact that this was even an issue um, is just really just disgraceful. Um, I had a, you know, can I just one quick story on this? I. When I was uh, in my prior line of work, I one of the finer moments in my career, one of the moments where I was really just unbelievably proud of what I what I did at the time was uh, when President Bush gave his speech. Now, let me just be candid with you. Policy-wise, I never was a proponent of the Iraq war ever or the surge. I want to be clear on that so I don't get a thousand emails. I wasn't advocating for that. But I was on duty the night at the White House when he gave his famous Oval Office speech. I kind of wrote about it in my first book. Kind of, I did write about it in my first book. When he gave his Oval Office speech about the surge and estimates of people watching were obviously in the tens of millions and it was everybody around the world watching. It was such an important speech, whether you agreed with the policy, which I didn't um, at the time, or, or did not. But I was outside the Oval when that was going on and they leave the door open in the Oval Office when that's happening. And watching it and just sitting there right outside the office, seeing President Bush in in front, you know, and behind the resolute, the desk and giving that speech to basically every important person in the globe was a really transformative experience for me where it really hit me like, wow, you know, this is really for real. (laughs) I, you know, standing there, it was an honor. It really was, even though, like I said, the policy wasn't my favorite. I was standing probably 10 feet away from him. And uh, I remember when the guy came to push me, the agent, uh, you know, push, relieve me. Like, I was like, I, th- I thought to myself, I'll stay. You know, you can't, of course, but uh, just a quick note. Sorry. Don't mean to interrupt you with personal stories, but watching that live was pretty incredible. Uh, so check that out tonight. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, so much here. I have a, an interesting thread here from James Toronto. I want to point out to you some more media bias. Media bias stories can can be interesting. Sometimes they're, they're dopey. Um, but this is important because you're going to see a lot of this given the prominence of female candidates and what I believe is going to be the 2020 enlarged 2020 field on the Democrat side for the presidency. Uh, we already have one announced candidate in an exploratory mode, which Joe and I, of course, know is nonsense, not explore. They're not exploring anything. She's going to run um, in Elizabeth Warren. I'm also expecting a, a number of other uh, female candidates to jump in on the Democrat side. Amy Klobuchar, uh, distinct possibility, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York, Kamala Harris, senator from California. Um, it's going to be a packed field on the Democrat side. There are going to be a lot of female candidates. Now, um, I bring that up not to bore you with uh, you know uh, uh, mundane details, but you can expect a bunch of Washington Post, New York Times driven uh, driven drivel um, about nonsense uh, made up uh, and fake misogyny and misogynist charge anytime you criticize a female candidate. It's starting already, but James Toronto, who writes at the Wall Street Journal, just absolutely dismantled Dave Weigel from the Washington Post and his co-author on a Washington Post piece, and it is a thing of beauty, and I just want to point it out there to show you, because it's going to happen, you're going to see this stuff all throughout the campaign anytime a female candidate is mentioned. There's everything you say is going to be misogynistic. It doesn't matter. So Weigel at the Washington Post, who's come after me in the past, and you know, kind of a silly manner, but whatever. Weigel wrote this piece and the the, the, the the gist of it, Joe, is that questioning Elizabeth Warren's, you know, likability is misogynistic. Like they don't question likability for male candidates like this is just you see, folks, you see where I'm going with this? Because wait, till, I, this is going to this is so th- Toronto did such a thorough debunking on this Twitter thread that it's it's almost humorous. OK, <laughs> So the premise, just to be clear with the premise, is Weigel wants you to believe that questioning a female candidate's, quote, likability is inherently misogynistic because they don't do that for male candidates. Oh, really? They don't. Okay. From the Washington Post, James Toronto. He's got headline screenshots. (laughs) Headline number one, Joe. (laughs) Sorry, this is so great. This is so great. Talk about holding the libs, right? The likability problem of Ted Cruz. Washington Post. (laughs) Headline number two. Rubio critics say he's too likable for his own good. (laughs) The Washington Post. 
then Toronto, because he's running out of space on Twitter of all these headlines. He just starts screenshotting Google checks on us. Here's a Google check from 2012 on whether Mitt Romney was likable. Ruth Marcus from the Washington Post. Is Mitt Romney likable enough to win? <laughs> Another Washington Post article. Can Mitt Romney become more likable? <laughs> Another headline from the Washington Post. Can Mitt Romney be likable? <laughs> Play that left guy again. We need that. Thank you, Chucky. We need that. <laughs> right. yeah. it go- Folks, it goes on. On the Dem side, male, again, males who were questioned for being likable. Washington Post about John Edwards. Being likable wasn't enough. <laughs> what? I could go on all day. I'm going to stop here and just to, to save you the. But this is the Washington. This is all from the Washington Post. Remember Weigel's point? They never question men being likable. Here's another one. Michael Dukakis in back in uh, 1988 for Dukakis. This is the headline, a challenge to be likable folks. Do you understand why these folks are such clowns? They just make it up. They just make it up. They have the Washington post is question likability of male and female. By the way, here's another female one. Just in case you think, uh, all right, this was only guys. Now they've questioned other females too. The Washington Post from The Fix. I think that's Chris Solis's thing. Hillary Clinton has a likability problem. <laughs> Donald Trump has a likability epidemic. This is a made-up story. This is the very genesis of fake news, ladies and gentlemen. Fake news. It's fake. It's made up. But this is how a lie travels around the globe before the truth is even heard. All right, one last note. Um, I was on Hannity last night with Geraldo. Mm-hmm. For some of you saw it, it, some of you may not have. If you missed it, it was pretty explosive. Um, it was on immigration, which is always a hot topic. Geraldo is very passionate about the topic. So am I. I don't. I try not to make it personal with anyone. And, you know, Geraldo uh, is, is uh, he has a different view than I do. Right. But the topic came up about Ronil Singh uh, and Americans being killed by people in the country illegally. And it was fiery, to say the least. Me and Sean both really uh, went at Geraldo pretty heavy when he insisted we were politicizing the, the tragic deaths of these people killed, including the police officer, by illegal immigrants, which I found fascinating because he then proceeded to immediately make the argument political by discussing the the uh, presence of dreamers in the country, and uh, which I found odd. Like you're making a political argument as you're accusing us, despite the death of many Americans due to people in the country legally of making it political. So I just want, I, I have in the show notes, a piece from BizPack Review, Samantha Chang. She wrote up on it and the video's there. I encourage you to watch it. It's short. It's about a six minute segment, but check it out uh, because this has to be said, folks. And this is a passionate argument because our national security matters and so do our borders. But two quick points I was trying to make, but the you know it got passionate right away, and sometimes it doesn't come across on the screen. There is no global right, folks, or claim on U.S. citizenship. None. If you are not a citizen of the United States, you have absolutely no right to be here without our permission. It is our country. We pay for it. Our families have given lives for it. Some of you have lost sons, daughters, mothers, and fathers. Some of you warriors out there have come back with no legs, missing limbs, missing eyes, like Dan Crenshaw and you know Brian Mast, who's my congressman, two missing the bottom half of both of his legs. It's our country. It is ours. We fought for it. We have every right to say who is allowed and not allowed to come in here. You have no right as a non-U.S. citizen to declare your claim on U.S. citizenship without our permission. And we make no apologies for that. We have been the most generous country to immigrants in human history. We've taken in millions of people from around the world. But you claim nothing without our explicit permission to our lawmakers through a legal process. You do it the right way, you will be gladly, openly welcomed and integrated into the fabric of our society. You violate our laws. No, you have to go. I don't know if Geraldo got that came across last night, but secondly, you can cite to me all the statistics you want about people coming into the country illegally, being less prone to commit crime later. Those statistics are off, folks. The reason those statistics are off about the crime rates amongst illegal immigrants show is because most states do not keep an accurate uh, tally of what the immigration status is of people they arrest. I had this. I had Matt Palumbo uh, write a piece on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, those statistics are, are not accurate. 
But the bottom line is, those statistics don't matter. Because if you're in the country illegally, and if even one person commits a crime, 100% of people in the country illegally should not be here to commit that crime. That is it. There is no other argument to be made. We have laws for a reason. They matter. Please watch the clip. I think you'll like it. Folks, check out the show notes today. They are really some of the, it's the best compilation I put together in a long time. You got the Carlson piece. Please go listen to the Scandal Exposed. Read the Lee Smith piece if you haven't heard it. That's embedded in that as well. Uh, And if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It is free. It makes a big difference. Of course, we're not charging anybody. I hope that the price thing made a difference in the beginning. Uh, And follow us on iHeart, SoundCloud, and elsewhere. It is free, but it helps us move up the charts. It helps other people find our content. But that's thanks to you. So I really appreciate you all doing that. We haven't been out of the iTunes top charts in forever because you keep subscribing. That's actually measured on subscription. So we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, folks. I appreciate it. I will see you all tomorrow. Don't miss the speech tonight. We'll cover it all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud and follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.